0: Capitalism, materialism, reductionism has played itself out. It's failed. Modernism has failed. Modernity has failed. The rational analysis of matter has led to the revelation of the irrationality of matter. The attempts to create systems of perfect deterministic prediction have led to the revelation of the chaos that haunts all systems and makes all prediction in principle impossible. Everywhere where reason has shown its light, the greater darkness has been revealed. And so I think a turning point has come in the human enterprise. Childhood's end is upon us. The conjuring rod of reason turns out to be a fairly weak magic after all. And we have to begin to cultivate a sense of mystery, a sense of living without closure.
1: Welcome to Voices of Esalen. I'm Sam Stern. Today's archive edition features a talk by Terence McKenna, delivered at the Esalen Institute in August 1992. McKenna was the ultimate psychedelic intellectual. An acclaimed ethnobotanist, mystic, and hyper-articulate lecturer, he spoke and wrote fluently about a variety of subjects, including entheogens, shamanism, mysticism, metaphysics, alchemy, semiotics, technology, futurism, environmentalism, and human consciousness. His rambling brand of wisdom is sometimes challenging to decrypt, yet his admirers, of which I am one, find that a McKenna lecture is always worth the time. Some of his notable books include The Invisible Landscape, True Hallucinations, and The Archaic Revival. His brother Dennis McKenna penned a wonderful memoir of their life together entitled The Brotherhood of the Screaming Abyss, which I highly recommend. Terence McKenna enjoyed a long and extraordinarily close association with Esalen and with Big Sur before his death on April 3, 2000, He had been scholar-in-residence many times and delivered scores of talks which are housed in our archives. This talk, entitled Politics and Ethos, covers a lot of ground, including psychedelic ontologies, modernity, language, reason, religion, freedom, nostalgia, and much more. But don't take my word for it. Tune into the nasal-voiced genius yourself and take the ride.
0: Cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am, appeared to be a kind of axiom, a kind of bedrock statement. I think, therefore, I am. Now, somehow in the 17th century, this appeared to have some kind of incontrovertible logic about it. Uh, like, uh, you know, I am I. But when you analyze it, it's an incredibly complex statement embedded in assumptions that can barely be languaged. I mean, just look at the connector, therefore, and try to wrap your mind about around what, what this actually means, and what are the limits of the meaning, and, and what is implied. It's a profoundly intuitive concept, not easily languaged. All-knowing is incredibly provisional. And this is something which is hidden within the context of a culture. Because cultures don't run around announcing how they haven't got their acts together. That's not what culture is about. Culture is all about announcing how we do have our act together. Look at this gothic cathedral, or look at this stonehenge, or look at this wonderful human sacrifice we just put on here. We know what we're doing. We know how to run nature and ourselves. In the 20th century, at last, the evolution of philosophy has become sophisticated enough to sort of question this search for truth. I, I studied philosophy from somebody some of you may have read or personally known, Paul Feyerabend, who was a, a wonderful philosopher of science and essentially an anarchist. He wrote a book called Against Method and uh, he talks in there about the provisional nature of knowing and how naive we are in the ways in which we manipulate data about the world. Uh, Just as an example, uh, we imbibe without question the very complex philosophical assumptions that lie behind probability theory. So that, for instance, talking about averages poses no intellectual uh, problem for us. You know, if you measure, if you want to know how much current is running through a wire and you take 10 measurements and you add them and you divide by 10, we then say this is how much current is running through the wire. Strangely enough, when you go back to your original 10 measurements, no one of them may be the value which you now announce to be the true value for the current running through the wire. All of our epistemic enterprise, all of the effort to understand the world is hedged about by this uncertainty. Wittgenstein was once asked uh, if a particular proposition uh, was true, And, and he said it's true enough. <laughs> and and this is modern this is the voice of modern philosophy where at last enough s- simple common sense has sunk into the philosophical enterprise that we're now talking about things being true enough rather than you know uh, the revelation of god's truth i mean good grief if you met a termite wandering across the floor of the jungle and interviewed him on his life's work and he announced that it was the discovery of certain truth, you would be fairly condescending in how you related to that. Well, but do you believe that you are greatly different in your cosmic positioning than that termite? You know what, monkeys are better at this than uh, insects? I don't think so. So I spend a lot of time trying to make my ideas seem rationally apprehendable, but in a way that's just uh, sight of hand. their, Their attraction for me, and I hope for you, is not their rational apprehendability, but that they're fun, that you can't top this for fun. I mean, if you can, I'll convert to your way of doing it, Uh, because, you know, the phenomenal world is delightful. It's humorous. It has locked within itself all the adumbrations and reflections of its aspirations, its past, and its uh, unfulfilled possibilities. I I really think this is the, the, the... what the psychedelic thing is about, or at least for me, is it's a kind of sensual glorification of multiplicity. That's why, you know, if we were to look at spiritual traditions and place them into... try and categorize them into great or weaning categories, then I think what you would get are the minimalist schools, which are all about white lights, nirvanas, satori's, shunyata's, and things largely unsayable that discourse despairs of describing. And the, the, those ontologies that glorify the phenomenal world, and that would be paganism, psychedelic thinking, shamanism. These, notice that these are more nitty-gritty positions, not driven by a thirst for abstraction, but driven by a thirst for sensation. And I, the, the, to my mind, the centerpiece of, of the experience of being and the centerpiece of the psychedelic experience and, and the point around which the great issues of, of modernity revolve is the issue of the felt presence of experience, the relationship of the individual to the sensorium of the body. I mean, we see it in all kinds of subtle ways uh, and unsubtle ways. Unsubtle ways the whole issue about a woman's right to control her reproductive processes. Subtle ways, the way in which the entire society is an engine for producing certain behavioral outcomes in the marketplace. Everybody is being programmed uh, and manipulated. and. I think the the antidote to that, in some sense, is this wider appreciation of complexity and experience. Experience. The reason the psychedelic thing is so powerful and can touch so many people of so many different classes and outlooks is that it's an experience. It's not an ideology. I mean, so we're not talking Uh, something which competes on a level with, like, say, Marxism, behaviorism, deconstructionism. This is something which is more operating on the level of sexuality, emotion, Mm -hmm. devotion. It's a feeling, and it's uh, a birthright of the organism that has been socially restricted and controlled in a very weird way. We are literally a schizophrenic species. I mean, we are at war with our own nature. Civilization, whatever that means, is felt to be so fragile an enterprise that uh, it's constantly refusing to come to terms with the context in which it finds itself, which is the animal body, sexuality, emotion, pain, desire, elation, ecstasy. And so we go outside of those things and create a generalized abstraction and reason backward. The reason psychedelics, I think, are so frightening to the guardians of social order is because they represent a direct addressing of experience. And for a very long time, I mean, one millennia, five millennia, choose a number. Experience has been hierarchically distributed in human society from the top. You know, you get a Christ or a Hitler or a Pope, or it's either, it's a leader of some sort or a visionary. And then the exegesis of the vision is passed down through and we imbibe it as a product coming with the sanction of social correctness. This has, turned, this has had a kind of neotenizing effect on us as human beings. What I mean by neoteny is the retention of juvenile characteristics. We have allowed ourselves to become more and more childlike. Uh, To the point where now some considerable percentage of us allow ourselves to be warehoused in a larval condition most of our waking lives watching television and uh, consumer object-based fetishism and the cycle of production of money for the acquisition of fetish material than the uh, Inevitable disappointment, the reformulation of the fetish, so forth and so on. This is what occupies us. You know, it was William James, I think, who said, if we don't read the books with which we line our apartments, then we are no better than our cats and dogs. And uh, I, uh, I guess I would say, and if we don't take the psychedelic plants, that are in the environment that we can avail ourselves of, then we are no better than our cats and dogs. There are doorways open to us, but they are all experiential and personal. They lie in the realm of sexuality and I guess what you would call experimental psychology and areas where we get very nervous and want to follow rote follow tradition and be assured that we are not deviant, that we are not strange, that we are not violating any of the canons uh, of the tribe. But I think because of the social crisis, meaning this vast, generalized sense that everyone has, that things are out of control, we are going to have to go back to first principles And and what that means is a return to the authenticity of the body. You know, McLuhan wrote about how media distorts human self-images. One of the reasons that I'm involved in virtual reality and electronic media and all of that sort of thing is because I think that the age of the distortion of the human self-image by media is coming to an end that the medias of the future will be largely transparent. And that this is very important because it's going to allow us to discover who we are. You know, a person who can read is a person who possesses an ability that is tremendously distorting of their essential relationship to their humanness. I mean, if language is a bizarre activity, and no question that it is, reading is orders of magnitude more bizarre yet, because, you know, abstract signs are being manipulated at close to conversational speed, in some cases faster than conversational speed. So much of culture is complex behavior. And I think that, what the psychedelics show that is a secret, that some people don't want told, is that we can redesign our behavior. We can change very, very quickly. uh, The image of ourselves as somehow the rigid inheritors of evolutionary programming, and therefore doomed like lemmings or monarch butterflies to enact A programmed pattern of behavior and destroy ourselves isn't what I see happening at all. The whole history of humanness is a history of unexpected adaptive response to unusual circumstances, and I believe that's because the imagination has played such an important role in defining who and what we are. And whatever the imagination is, psychedelics catalyze it, psychedelics enhance it. Uh, The thin bandwidth of interior self-monitoring that goes on in normal consciousness becomes much more clear, three-dimensional, and intensified under the influence of psychedelics. You know, these things used to be called consciousness-expanding drugs. It was just a good old phenomenological description. Well, consciousness, or the absence of it, is what is pushing our species toward some kind of crack-up. So if there are factors in the rainforests, in the arctic tundra, in the toolkits of pre-literate and aboriginal people, that can act to transform consciousness, then we, we, this is where we have to put our attention. If we could feel the consequences of what we are doing, we would stop doing it. The reason we don't stop is because we are partially, partially anesthetized to the consequences of untrammeled population growth, unregulated uh, capitalist market-oriented behaviors, so forth and so on. We are semi-conscious. This is our problem. We're like someone half-awake inside a burning building. You know, are we going to suffocate and become a crispy critter? Or are we going to sufficiently integrate the situation to grope our way to an entrance and call 911. In our case I don't know who comes when you call 911. But it's something like that. During the weekend we'll talk a lot about human history because I think human history is something that we are far too blasé about. We take it for granted because our own lives are so ephemeral last, you know, 70 years or something. We think of history as something that was installed with the rocks, but in fact it isn't. It too is a behavior very recent, like language, another behavior very recent. Physically, human beings have been about the way we are for a hundred thousand years, much the way we are for half a million years. But the behaviors have changed radically, you know, from nomadic partnership, from societies based on shamanic intoxication, orgiastic sexuality, uh, (coughs) no fixed abode, to a massive integrated global, electronically-based civilization. Uh, These are extraordinary modifications of behavior. It's as though hummingbirds were to begin assembling locomotives. That's the kind of radical transformation that we see inside our own species. Well, then the question is, what's it about? Why, what we are doing by replacing one behavior after another, never resting, never satisfied, is, in practical terms, we're accelerating the entire temporal continuum. We seem to be pushing process toward some kind of dimensional apotheosis of some sort. We're not content. To let things rest, and human history is the the um, record of this process, which begins as a kind of random random walk. I'm sorry, a kind of random walk across the epigenetic landscape of culture, but the the random walk finds a compass heading, and this compass heading is has many names. I mean, you can call it unity, you can call it God, you can call it a chicken in every pot, Uh, you can uh, uh, call it completion, but whatever it is, uh, freedom seems to be its central feature. We want freedom. Freedom. We want freedom from the constraints of the cycles of the sun and the moon. We want freedom from drought and weather, freedom from the movement of game and the growth of plants, freedom from control by mendacious popes and kings, freedom from ideology, freedom from want. And this idea of freeing ourselves has become the compass of the human journey. That which doesn't free doesn't serve. I mean this has become almost a a kind of universal ideal. No one on earth preaches the virtues of slavery. I mean there may be people who practice (laughs) slavery, but they have the decency to keep their mouths shut about it because the defense of slavery has become impossible in polite company. Slowly, there has been, I think over time, the growth of an ideal of what human perfection is, first worked on by the great religions, and then sometime, I suppose, around the time of the Italian Renaissance, handed over to secular forces that begin to say, you know, freedom is uh, more than the right to wear wool and pray 24 hours a day. Uh, Freedom means uh, the acquisition of property, of uh, the visible manifestations of wealth, the acquisition of information freedom with the publication of the first books becomes association becomes associated with accessing the database of the culture. Well, what we've learned through Freud and Jung is that the database of the culture goes deeper than we may have anticipated and that the final keys to the deeper levels are in fact plants that were part of our shamanic heritage millennia ago. So freedom has become basically a project in the Blakeian imagination. Blake called it the divine imagination. We now dream of transcending the constraints of matter, space, time, and energy themselves. I mean, this is what stuff like nanotechnology and uh, virtual reality and this sort of thing is about. We wish to find ourselves in the imagination. Well, I maintain that uh, this desire is a kind of nostalgia for a paradisical possibility that actually existed in the past. And that to understand the human predicament, we're going to have to come to terms with the idea that which has been around for a long time, but not given much coinage recently, that history is a fall, that this is a lesser state than we have known in the past that all this material culture and all this exhibition of energy control and so forth and so on is actually uh, these are the toys of lesser gods and that being integrated in nature at peace with the rhythms of life and death and co-identified with the eternal organism of community that these were actually higher Uh, and nobler ideas that somehow became compromised uh, with the fall into history. And it has to do with our relationship to the lost continents of our own minds. I mean, that's what this psychedelic thing is really about. I think it's as profound as uh, uh, the European discovery of the lost half of the planet 500 years ago. It's that half of the human mind became disconnected uh, from the ego. And for a thousand years or more, these things have drifted in such profound estrangement from each other that when reunited, The only thing we can map it to is a flying saucer invasion or a descent of angelic intent or something because we have become so alienated from the collective images of the soul. And while it's true that shamanism has existed forever and ever and that people, some people, midwives, shamans, visionaries, schizophrenics, uh, have been doing this in all times and places. Nevertheless, it now has a special poignancy because the the official philosophy of our civilization, capitalism, materialism, reductionism, I guess that's it, maybe misogyny is in there somewhere, it has played itself out. It's failed. Modernism has failed. Modernity has failed. The, the rational analysis of matter has led to the revelation of the irrationality of matter. Uh, the uh, uh, attempts to uh, create systems of perfect deterministic prediction have led to the revelation of the chaos that haunts all systems and makes all prediction in principle impossible. The prosecution of the dream of a formal edifice of logic to explain uh, uh, mathematical structures and truth has given way to Gödel's incommensurability theorem which shows you that basically nothing makes sense. Uh, everywhere where reason has shown its light, this the uh, greater darkness has been revealed. And so I think a turning point has come in the human enterprise. Childhood's end is upon us. We have to drop the naive assumptions of certain truth, (coughs) perfect understanding, uh, uh, the conjuring rod of reason turns out to be a fairly weak magic after all. And we have to begin to cultivate a sense of mystery, a sense of living without closure, because that in fact is how the world is. The world is a mystery. It's not going to yield to the fragile constructs of the human mind. Some portion may be rationally apprehendable. But the basic uh, facts of the matter are that we do not know where we come, nor why, nor where we're going, nor according to what plan. And instead of seeking... A flawed communication with the intentionality of deity, I think the psychedelic religious agenda, if that's how you want to think of it, uh, is a more modest one. It's a cultivation of a sense of wonder in the presence of something which obviously cannot be encompassed by the human mind. I mean, it can no more be encompassed by the human mind than the ocean can be emptied into a thimble. And uh, once you get that straight, you can go back to getting high, staying tight with your friends, making love, growing your garden, and uh, appreciating the... uh, the felt presence of experience and realizing that the abstraction game, the high modeling game, is in fact simply a game and that there should be no emotional investment in these structures. I mean, what I've learned from the mushrooms ultimately is that ideas are for play and uh, the final payback from all of this is... uh, a sense of fun, a sense of humor. The truth for sure, when it arrives, will make you smile. If it doesn't, uh, you know, you should seek uh, a deeper truth. And so, uh, you know, for a long time it troubled me, this question of, of truth and falsity. And now I think that it's more like this, that the person who has the best idea, or let's put it this way, the best idea, and that means the the funniest idea, the idea that brings the small smile to the corners of your mouth, that idea will win. It, it will win. It's Twi, the cheerful, you know. Twi treads on the tail of the tiger, no blame. No blame because t- the the cheerfulness of tui overcomes the inherent reticence of the world. Uh, the light touch is the right touch, and if if psychedelics don't give this to you, you may be an incurable case, you know. There may be no, no hope for you but Martin Heidegger uh, in high doses or whatever they do with people uh, who have uh, displaced funny bones. The, the world is truly a strange place, getting stranger all the time. It's more the character of a pun, or a, uh, uh, an optical illusion than it is the, the, the world of humorless, scurrying, gray atoms and invisible forces that we inherit from nature. The laboratory of being is your own body, your experience. I mean, everything else is going to come as an unconfirmable rumor so fraught around with epistemological problems that you might as well toss it out at the beginning and not even bother with it. The basic thing is the empowerment of experience. That's why sexuality has always raised such a ruckus uh, in, uh, uh, among authority freaks. It's why the psychedelic is so unsettling. It's why youth itself is unsettling uh, because these things cause symmetry breaks. They cause uh, a shift in perspective. But this is, in fact, at this point in time, exactly what we have to have. It may be, you know, that we're going to rack and ruin, but it's not. It's not an unconscious process. There are the technologies the information retrieval systems, uh, the engineering capacities to fight like hell against the dying of the light, if that's what's going on. But the will has to be activated. And the problem is that the people creating the problems which are the people in the high tech industrial democracies people like you and me are the furthest from the consequences of the problems you know i mean here we anticipate uh, the apocalypse and it's a it's a theological discussion You go to Somalia and the apocalypse is well underway. It's moved beyond the planning stage in many parts of the world, but the parts that we don't go to. And yet we represent, for all our humility and financial difficulties, whatever they may be, we represent probably the 5% of the world's people who have some ability to contact, control, and direct the resources and the technologies uh, that are available on this planet. I mean, if you're able to sit here at Esalen this evening, then you automatically are in that 5% (laughs) classed as you know, the world controllers. uh, You and your friends, yeah. Why can't uh, enough people lock into that space? Um, of like undeniable unity to
1: cause almost an epidemic on the planet of
0: that. Well, I'm not worried. I I think that what is happening is a transformational process, not the bankruptcy of ideology, not the spin-down of technical civilization. I'll argue through much of tomorrow and tomorrow evening that history is not our fault that you no more can blame us for the shape of human history than you can blame a fetus for the unfolding morphology within the womb. That uh, history is the necessary distortion of an animal species to lead it to the brink of an ontological transformation. I, uh, when we get into this issue of politics, it's a very tricky issue, I think, from, to handle from a psychedelic point of view because the psychedelic point of view, as I read it at a fairly deep level, is that it's a done deal. It's okay. You know, basically, we're going to make it. We've been on a straight line vector for millions of years with this transcendental attractor that has shaped us called us out of matter and is revealing itself through us. But knowing that is not permission for uh, sitting on your can or ceasing to participate in the struggle to create a just and, uh, and caring society. It does mean that you shouldn't worry, that worry is off the menu, that you don't know enough to worry is, is one of the arguments to be made. Uh, so I think what we, it, it's basically a case of we need to act uh, locally and think not simply globally but cosmically. And, and in our cosmic ruminations, struggle to erase boundaries. And to see that, you know, the difference between us and the next species in waiting in the evolutionary elevator, and the difference between life and death, and the difference between pre- and post-history, these are differences that can be easily erased. And when they are, uh, what comes through is this lost sense of unity and purpose and rightness, that we're uh, trying to recapture. Well, that's all I really wanted to say about that tonight. I didn't want to keep you past 10. Uh, We'll get together here tomorrow morning, get a good night's sleep. The baths are open 24 hours a day. Thank you very much. Bring your questions, controversies, and whatever, and we'll dig into all this with great gusto on the morrow. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks for listening to Voices of Esalen. Today's show is produced in conjunction with Terry Gilby and Michelle Broderick. Our theme music is by Nico Holloman. The Esalen Institute is a nonprofit organization. Our show is made possible by your contributions.